Welcome to the Let's Talk International Education podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Benny, founder of Top Scores. We're here for you, whether you're a parent, grandparent, a teacher, as long as you're interested in education, you're in the right place. We work hard to bring relevant, up-to-date and possibly controversial information on all things related to education. In this first season, we've invited education leaders from around the world, as well as parents just like you and I. We're pleased you found us. Don't forget to subscribe. And here's today's episode. And good evening and welcome to this live stream with myself, Ruth from Top Schools. And I have a very special guest with us this evening. So let's bring him on. Please welcome Sean Porter, Principal of Dalton School, Hong Kong. Hi, Sean. Hi, Ruth. Thank you for having me tonight. Thank you for being here. So for those of you who are watching live, you have the opportunity to ask questions, to ask Sean anything. And our topic this evening is Chinese without tears. I know, seems too good to be true. We're going to find out. So if you have any questions about bilingual learning, if you have objectives to have your child be bilingual, biliterate, if you have questions about the Dalton plan, the Dalton school in Hong Kong, or general primary school education, Sean is ready and willing to answer your questions. So please go ahead and type in the comments. So Sean, maybe we could have a make a start. Could you just, I mean, I know you relatively well. Could you just introduce yourself briefly and your role at the school? Sure. So I'm, I think again, thank you for having me tonight. I guess quickly, my, my story sort of in education begins as a math teacher in the Bronx, New York. I actually originally was an investment banker, but decided last, kind of at the last minute that I decided I was tutoring math and coaching swim lessons at the same time and realizing I was much more fulfilled and happy in life when I was doing those kinds of things. And so I got, got into education and then I've been so fortunate to have an educational journey that's been you know, blessed with many amazing mentors that you know, one of which Larry Levin, the founding principal at Dalton School Hong Kong, is someone who recruited me to come out here to, to Hong Kong. And that was almost seven, about six and a half years ago that, that I came out to Hong Kong when we founded the primary school at Dalton. And I was really drawn to Dalton because at the time I was working um, at schools across mostly North America around, you know, constructivist approaches to math teaching and also school leadership. But I feel like I was preaching a lot of things, but having a, a school or an organization that was really wanting to like just fully commit to putting those kinds of things into practice was what I found in, in the Dalton organization. Um, and it's, it's was something that began as a one year journey. Um, and now, uh, it's, I'm here today and, and, and really happy and loving being a part of the Dalton community. So, so seven years since the Dalton school started in Hong Kong, is it? So it's a little over 10 years when the kindergarten opened in Pak Phalam, yes. but it's, yes, but about almost seven years now with the primary school here in West Cullen. God, time flies. I and, <laughs> and I know that there are plans for Dalton School and we're already getting questions about the future plans. So thank you for your questions. Hang fire because we will definitely will get to the exciting developments that are, are happening at Dalton School for, for next year and beyond. So, so our topic today is Chinese without tears. Is it possible? <laughs> because you know I think most people know I mean I, I went through this my children are almost adults now but but we went through a lot of tears I have to say and and so we do get parents who <clears throat> excuse me who aspire to bring up their children in Hong Kong typically we want trilingual and biliterate mm -hmm. but at the very least we want bilingual and biliterate right 
but at what expense? And so we see a lot of the, yeah, the costs, the negative, you know, the costs, the downsides of, of going through a very traditional, rigorous approach to, to learning Chinese, which I think a lot of us have accepted that that is the only way, but perhaps not. Please enlighten us. <laughs> So yes, I do think it's it, it's possible, and and actually, I think learning Chinese can be a really joyous experience, and that's what I get have the privilege of getting to observe on a on a daily basis. But really, that is the whole, in many ways, the reason why Dalton was was Dalton School Hong Kong was created was because there was a feeling of wanting to be able to kind of merge the worlds of progressive child-centered education with also a really strong Chinese language and culture education. And sometimes, you know, I know kind of traditionally speaking, sometimes it feels like those two things don't always coexist, but I think we see that they, they really can. And I think for us, there are some things just about our, our kind of our philosophy and our ethos that really facilitate this. I think two big things are we're a dual language school. And so what that really means is that students spend 50% of their time in English and 50% of their time in Chinese. And that's across subject areas. So they're not just learning, you know, Chinese as a, as a language, they're using it in a truly immersive way. So they, they're, they're taking Chinese in PE, they're using Chinese in steam, they're using Chinese in, in music. So I think that helps cultivate, you know, high interest in, in learning the language. And I think, and then the other, I think, really key pillar of the school, which goes back to the kind of the child-centered progressive philosophy, is that, you know, the culture of the school plays an incredibly important role. So, you know, it's a, creating a culture that's very loving, safe, and growth-oriented, where, you know, you, we, yes, we have lots of different types of assessments that we use, but they can be low stakes. It's okay to make mistakes. And I, and I think that creates a culture where, again, le- you know, learning Chinese is difficult, but learning difficult things doesn't have to be, you know, painful and and making mistakes is part of that learning process. I think that's interesting. But so just to go back to clarify, the dual language thing is because lots of schools have different terminology. But in your school, that actually means it's an immersion environment. The, the, The teachers in the class for the Chinese time are only the Chinese teachers and vice versa. Is that right? That is true. Yes. And that, and that thing, thank you for kind of drawing that distinction. Yes. So as a dual language school, yes, they are, it is the really the, 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 there's three main goals of a dual language program versus a bilingual program. The, the first is that students become, you know, fully bilingual and biliterate, being able to speak, listen, read, write, think, and translate in the two program languages. Yeah. And then the second goal is that they can achieve high academic achievement across subject areas in both languages. And then the third kind of goes back to the, the culture idea. So that it's not, we're not just learning language in isolation, but uh, promoting sociocultural competence. So understanding that, you know, culture and respecting differences are, you know, the part of the beauty of learning, learning language, because language helps us, you know, get to know pe- people across different cultures in a, in a more nuanced way. Mm. Sociocultural confidence. I've not heard that before. That's interesting. I know that you're very well read. I think maybe one of the things <clears throat> we can ask you for at the end of this is for, for a few readings and books or articles that, that parents could read up on that sort of support all of what you're saying today. Let, let's let's go to a typical, I think a lot of the parents that we talk to every day have got rather young children, maybe they're, they're two, three, four years old, and they're sort of embarking on their on their school journey. And as I say, they have this this objective of bilingualism and biliteracy. So when they start at, let's say, three years old, 
what what are this you know how are you planting those seeds that are going to allow them to be successful later on with the dual language so actually for for in terms of our dual language model we actually begin that with little dalton in pre-k so even starting in with for our two-year-olds they're actually already following that 50 50 model and I guess to help kind of visualize that, if you think of like a timetable, students actually spend one day entirely in one of the program languages. So yeah. Monday might be an entirely English day, then Tuesday would be entirely in Chinese, then back to English, then Chinese. And then Friday would be what we call like our metalinguistic day, where, we, where we're using both of the languages side by side. And so again, so, it's that, so they're really immersed for the, if it's pre-K for the full half day, if it's, you know, yeah, K1, K2, that might be a half day or a full day experience. Um, and so, so they're, they're really getting opportunities to practice, you know, at that age, right, it's definitely more of the speaking and listening skills, but, you know, they're, they're, they're doing kind of emergent reading and writing skills in, in, in both languages. But then also, I think because we, we place a strong emphasis on Chinese culture. So they're also like, I think, seeing the value in learning the Chinese language. We talk a lot about our Chinese values. And I think that that's something that I think also sparks an interest and a curiosity in wanting to learn more about the language. Mm. It is such a key, crucial difference to reiterate to parents that in so many of the schools where they teach Chinese, they teach it as a subject and mm. simply a language subject because they have to. It's obligatory to do so um, in an international school in Hong Kong but there's such a it's such a, a crucial difference in in that and and in what you do where you're teaching as you say it's they're immersed in Chinese they're learning all of their subjects in Chinese and they're experiencing yeah the cultural side as well I I agree and I and I think you know and we say 50 50 but if anything you know I actually see someone even mention this in the in the comments that well, you, you can know, see the comments yeah, yeah. <laughs> that English does sometimes in, in many international schools, I know English can just take over, right? Like a, that happens a lot, right? And that's something that we are really sensitive to and, and, and something that actually as a leader, I'm constantly observing it at what, what is the play language. And I'm very proud that across grade levels, right? You, you still definitely hear lots of Mandarin. You do hear English. You might hear some Cantonese, right? That it, it, there's, there's different types of languages that are definitely being used at, at play and English has not, you know, taken over in those play spaces. Um, but for us, you know, we're saying that we, we, we value both languages equally, um, mm. but because English is everywhere, right? That it's, it's dominant in media and things like that. If we're going to ever kind of give priority or promote one, you know, one language or the other, we will lean more towards the Chinese in terms of trying to really kind of amplify and lift the Chinese language and Chinese culture. So that I think our kids really are kind of rooted in the, in the Chinese culture since we're based here in Hong Kong and valuing that. Yeah, and I think it's it's thank you for your question, Rosa. And I, I I'm zeroing in on one of the words which I feel like, how do you prevent this? I mean, I'm sure, Sean, you you wouldn't want to prevent that, but then it's more it, it's focusing on the value of of speaking Chinese rather than preventing the English. Maybe you want to elaborate. Yes, I, and I think and I think that is that you 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 said it really nicely just now that I think it is more it's it's as the more that we can get our our, our children to really you know value and be curious and want to learn and use the Chinese language and also have you know, ways to use the language beyond just the academic ways too, right? So like we have, you know, we have everything from like sports, like our basketball team and our badminton teams are, are coached in Mandarin, right? We have robotics classes that are in Mandarin, orchestras in Mandarin. You know, we have speech teams, debate teams, you know, we have our own, we, we have, we participate in a battle of the books in English and Chinese. So I think these are all other ways that I think we can get 
you know, students to just be excited about using the Chinese language. And so I, so I think, I think that, yeah, yeah, so it's not necessarily about having to prevent English use, but, but more about how can we really create lots of wonderful spaces for kids to be able to, to use their Chinese language. Yeah. I mean, because I know that you're so well read and, and I mean, what can you tell us about how language plays into the way that children and adults for that matter form relationships? I mean, isn't that going to be central, a central idea of acquiring a language naturally and valuing the the use of that language? Absolutely. And I think that goes into kind of, I think, like sort of two of my own kind of core beliefs, the one about that, that play is the engine of learning, right? So play, when we get to use language in playful playful ways, then we are, then we're really learning why we use language, right? The, the, the real, the real purpose to language is to be able to connect with others. And I think that then feeds into the whole concept of why sociocultural competence is so important because, you know, here's this, you know, this, if, when you have the, the power of language, you have this, you know, incredible ability, but also responsibility to use that in a way that helps you, you know, connect with other humans and 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 in value diversity and things like that. So I think it's a, yeah, it it, it is. It's a it's a superpower. Mm. See, I'm monolingual, so I'm very deficient in this area. <laughs> but it, it is so interesting, and I think it's yeah, it's definitely one of the it, it's something you and I have talked about, and I think it's definitely one of the. Well, I want to say USP, but I can't think of anything else. It, it, it's. It's embedded into the fabric of who you are as a school, right? As opposed to what I was saying earlier, it's not simply just taught as a language. You're, you're absolutely right. And when, and when we opened this, the, the school, we were really, really fortunate to be able to work with Dr. Jose Medina. And at the time, he was with the Center for Applied Linguistics out of Washington, D.C. And so they're really the, lead, the, the kind of leading think tank around dual, dual language programming. And so everything in terms of how we designed the school was really built in that, in the image of the research that that was about 30 years of research that they had accumulated on, on dual language immersion programs. And so we were really, you know, everything from, you know, the timetables to some of the environmental print in the, in the space, we were really able to design it, you know, based on that, that research. And of course, you know, every year we learn things, we learn how, you know, we tweak, make tweaks and adjustments based on, on student needs. But I think we were we were so fortunate to have that, you know, and, and, and Dr. Medina is still, you know, someone that, that, that we're really fortunate to have that relationship with mm. in terms of supporting the school's dual language development. All right, so time's running out. Gosh, we've got so much to cover and not, <laughs> not enough time. I can see your questions. Thank you. If you do have any questions, we're live with Sean Porter, principal of Dalton School in Hong Kong. We're talking about Chinese without tears or anything related to um, Dalton School. Um, please ask in the comments below. I'll get to some of the comments that, that are coming in. Let's move on to slightly older children. And maybe we can tie this in with your plans as well to extend Dalton School um, upwards. How, how does Chinese without tears continue as children are needing to learn? Learn, you know, literacy, you know, a lot of reading and writing. Um, yes. And I, this is where I have to really, I feel like I'm going to sound like the proud parent who's going to brag about my, my kids. I'm going to brag about our, our, our students and, and, but especially our faculties. I think our Chinese department is really, you know, really amazing. So I already spoke about kind of that loving approach to, to teaching and learning, but I think, you know, there's a, a huge emphasis on trying to think about how can we make, you know, difficult learning fun, because when learning is fun, then, you know, engagement and rigor really go hand in hand. 
And so I would say there's kind of three kind of sort of key strategies that are, are regularly used. We're starting to think about more advanced, you know, reading and writing type of skills. And I would, and I would classify those as being able to like storify or contextualize content to be more relevant to kids' lives, being able to socialize it. So kids, obviously like, you know, the more you can, especially as kids get older and older, their peer, their peer interactions are so important to them. So if you can make learning more social. And then a third way is, you know, every, everybody loves games, right? So being able to gamify something that might be, you know, more ordinary or, or even perceived as traditional, we can always find interesting ways to, to gamify that. And the team does like such, such creative things with that. So like the, like with gamifying just things I've re recently observed in classrooms, right? So something simple when children are first learning characters, writing characters, Obviously, like something like as an English writer, right, I can write, you know, a kind of a letter, kind of any order I want, right, and I can use any kind of style I want. But Chinese, you know, the, the stroke order matters, right? That's so then there's kind of a strict application of that. But so the, our reception team uses something that they call the rainbow stroke. So the kids, so it follows kind of the order of the rainbow and they're able to kind of follow, follow the, the stroke order in that sort of sequence. Rather than flashcards, they do different things like a shoots and ladders game where they're doing like character identi character identification, reading characters on a on a game board. So little things like that, I think, can make a you know a really big difference. And because because practice is an essential part of learning, I think all languages, but especially Chinese, mm -hmm. you have to find I think you know fun ways for kids to to want to regular regularly work with the language, and and you know the team really does amazing things to get kids motivated to to do that. But for older children, Sean, when it's, you know, when you, you're moving out of the, the flashcards and the, um, the rainbow strokes kind of when, you know, nine, 10, 11 years old, can it still be fun? Yes, it can. Actually, and then I'm glad you asked that because there's uh, two things I also, again, that I also observed recently in upper primary and also I can one, and then one was in our first middle school grade. So going back to that idea of, of contextualizing learning and making it relevant to students, you know, I think our older students are definitely showing an interest in social media. So something that I've observed teachers doing is, you know, they might be analyzing an ancient poem. Right. So something so that obviously that's as traditional as it gets right in terms of looking at a, a text that's thousands of years old. And then but but, you know, rather than just doing kind of a simple reading response to that, the teacher had the kids do basically like a social media response. So they got to do kind of they did. It. She had created this little template where they could like it, comment it. And it would, you know, it, it was something that was it was it was it was cute. But the kids were very into actually talking about this ancient poem just by, by making it something that was more modern in terms of how they interacted with it. And then in our sixth grade, you know, a lot, we, we do a lot of inquiry-based learning. And so in this, the first unit this year, the sixth graders focused on trying to solve problems in the Hong Kong community. And so ultimately what the kids ended up doing is they designed a board game that in, that could be played in that it's there. There was a Chinese version and an English version. And the kids were basically had come up with these different types of missions that were based on problems happening in, in Hong Kong. And, and so, the, you know, it, it required research, you know, they had to, you know, they, they created and designed the, 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 the game board, which had a lot of tech, like they had a rule book that was written in both languages. So, you know, they're doing a lot of actually very difficult skill work, but it doesn't feel that way, right? Because they're, they're really interested and excited about the topic that they're, that they're engaged in. Yeah. How much home support is required from the parents? Because we know in a traditional school where, you know, there's a lot of homework, especially the Chinese seems to be, 
you know, extended into after school hours. And especially if parents maybe don't have that that level of, of Chinese literacy, what, what have you seen over the years in terms of how the parents can support or need to support their children in school? Sure. I So... Yeah, home learning is an, is an interesting interesting one because I think you know a lot of a lot of research doesn't necessarily support heavy amounts of of, of home learning. Mm-hmm. However, I would say so. I would say our home learning assignments I would are definitely do correlate to the age of the child in terms of that kind of like time demand. But for us, what's really really important is that we cultivate a culture of reading. So reading is a must. The children must be reading at at home every night in both languages. And so anything that families can do to really kind of cultivate that, to help support that, that culture of reading, you know, helping to, you know, purchase texts that are, you know, of a, of an interest for, for, for your child, because that will encourage that, that reading habit. And then even, you know, even as young as, as, as grade one, there is a little bit of Chinese home learning, you know, assignments that take place in terms of practicing writing. But, you know, it's not writing the same character, you know, 20 times, right? It's, it's, and it also, it's nuanced to the child because every, you know, I was talking about this with, with Wen Hong, who was our, our vice principal and, and head of Chinese, and, you know, not every child needs to write, you know, characters many, many, many times, right? For some kids, you know, writing it three or four times, it'll, it'll go to memory, right? Some do need to write it, write it more uh, in order for it to really, you know, go to memory. So it's, it, it, it's nuanced to the child. But then, of course, it, as they get older, those expectations across not just Chinese, but in, in general, that does that does increase because we're also trying to instill that kind of personal responsibility and, and, and self-directed learning. But yes, but now your question, though, as far as, you know, families who might not have access to Mandarin at home, it is it I, I would be lying if I didn't say that that didn't present some challenges. It definitely is, you know, I so but I think what's what's again what, what no matter whether you speak the language or not, things that you can do is you can help promote that culture of reading at home, right? You can also, you can show an interest in learning the language and the culture with your, with your child, right? So especially like, you know, if you want to go for, you know, different types of cultural experiences around, around the city, you can, if you want to take a, you know, a Sunday trip to Shenzhen you know, so that your child can kind of, you know, practice using their Mandarin, that's a great, you know, great opportunity. But again, I think it also just depends on the individual t- child in terms of maybe if they need any you know extra support outside of outside of school, and that's something that you know we would just be you know working with the with the family closely on 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 that. But we also try to provide as much of that one to one and small group support within the school day as well. Mm-hmm. So that if a child, so a lot you know lots of things happening within the day, but then we also have an after school program for children who need that additional mm-hmm. language support too. But again, I mean, speaking from my own experience for a moment as well, it's just so, so important that the community recognises the whole value of of the embeddedness, which I don't think is a real word, you know, of of the language in, in the whole culture of the school. Because as soon as a few, you know, a few of the friends or the other parents, you know, kind of lose interest and start sort of drifting off and thinking, oh, it's just not worth it, that can be that can spread like wildfire and can be really very contagious. And, and, and you're, you're, I, I, that is true, but we are really fortunate to be supported by, I would say, an, Amer- an amazing parent community who I think really is committed to this kind of dual language philosophy, because that is, that is a commitment, right? If you just want to do a dual language for one year, not worth it. Right? That's, there's really, there's no purpose in doing that. It's, it really, you, you know, you really do, it is a, it's a, you know, a longer term commitment in terms of being able to really become fully bilingual, biliterate. And that's not something that can happen, you know, happen overnight. And, and, and so much of that too is because kids just need more time to be immersed in the language. And the more time that we can immerse them in the language, the more likely they'll reach that mm. point. 
And do you, do you ever find that, I mean, I found this, that a lot of parents give up too quickly. And I mean, that's not only for children's schooling these days, but, you know, there, there seems to be like an on button where if a child reaches, if they've been immersed in the language since the age of two, let's say, might not happen to the age of six or seven or eight, where there seems to be like a switch where suddenly the child is completely fluent. And, and but that, of course, they're not. That's been happening all of the time. But it's something about confidence levels or just comfort levels it's true i think you know it's i i think when it comes to physical growth i think everyone accepts that they that growth happens in spurts but i don't think we always look at academic growth the same way and i think and i think that you're right every day there's sort of building blocks that are that are that are happening kind of you know sort of under the water um but then all of a sudden you have a breakthrough and you make this kind of big, big leap in learning that's very visible. But you're right, you're chipping away at that kind of, of at that every day. But yeah. And it's such a shame when parents sort of give up before they've seen the the fruits of their efforts, you know. Yes, and, and, and you know, there can be frustrating moments, but actually going back to, to Dr. Medina, he really, I think, helped us also have that kind of, you know, patience and persistence when he talks, he spoke about the idea of, you know, even if you just compare you know, a monolingual child to, you know, a child in a dual language setting, right? A monolingual child might be performing at like, you know, the highest level 10, right? Mm -hmm. But that's as high as they're going to go. Whereas a child in a dual language setting, you know, maybe at this, at a, at a young stage, they might be at, let's say an eight in one language and a five in the other. Put eight and five together, you've already at 13. But there's, mm -hmm. the, there's that potential to actually get all the way up to, you know, that kind of double 10 in terms of having, you know, full, you know, full mastery of the, of the two languages. But it, but it is, you know, research shows it was with dual language settings, you know, with Spanish and English or French and English, it's like a five to seven year window. The Chinese and English, because of the distance between the two languages, you're looking at more of like seven to 10 years for that full biliteracy level. Mm. We are going to run out of time. So I've got a couple more questions. First one, can we deal with this? This is another question from, from Rosa. How is the Dalton plan different from Montessori on a practical level? So actually, that's a really interesting question because right? I don't know. I don't know if many people know that um, there's a I would say a, a common lineage with with Montessori and the Dalton plan. So Maria Montessori and Helen Parkhurst um, were basically it's like kind of like a Socrates and Plato, Plato type of relationship. Right. So Helen Parkhurst, who was the author of the Dalton plan actually studied with Maria Montessori. And so they were really some of the early progressive thinkers in, in kind of the early 20th century. So there's a lot of sort of, I think, shared values between like a Montessori and a, an adult plan system. What I like really about the Dalton plan, though, is I think, you know, two, two things. And I think that they are nuanced things that maybe separate a little bit from, from Montessori and why you see Dalton plan used maybe more in like a primary and secondary setting is that I think one, the Dalton plan is really about you know individualizing to the child and putting them in a position of leadership and autonomy over their learning and then two the excuse me you know the dalton plan is something that i just went blank on my on my second point but it'll, it'll come back to me but yeah go ahead sorry oh i lost sound yeah, so I'm muted. You were talking about the child taking control of their learning and being oh, autonomous. Yes, thank, thank you. Yes. And so in the, in the second point, though, is that the Dalton plan is also a framework, right? So in terms of like, how, so how, okay, that's, that sounds lovely that you're able to put a child in a position of leadership and that they can have autonomy over your learning. 
but how do you do that? And so it is, you know, it's not a curriculum, but it is a framework that is structured where you have the house, the lab, and the assignment that are really, I would say, vehicles that do help you in a structured way, release more and more of that control to the, to the child. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I think we've been going for half an hour. If you have any more questions for Sean, we're with Sean Porter, principal of Dalton School. Any questions related to the Dalton School or our topic is Chinese without tears. You have a few more minutes to get those questions in. I want to move on as well. Rosa's asked a lot of questions tonight. Hi, Rosa. And there's another one of your fans, Sean, I think. Ling. Let's talk about plans because um, it's not a coincidence that we've brought you on to to talk to us in October of 2023 because there are exciting plans afoot for Dalton School in Hong Kong. Um, Yeah, would you like to share what those are? Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. And and thank you for the opportunity to to share a bit about that. So, yes. So we just recently announced in September um, that we are going to be, uh, it's it's kind of a multi-tiered thing. So we are going to be um, moving our campus to, to Stubbs Road in mid, uh, the Wan Chai Mid-Levels area at the current Rosary Hill site. We are going to be now offering more things at Dalton. So we'll continue to have our mini Dalton, little Dalton, and DSHK international streams that we currently have. But we'll also now be you know, integrating a local stream based on the current Rosary Hill uh, local stream, and then also a primary local stream. And then we're also very excited by being able to have you know, expanded outdoor facilities in a larger space that we're going to be able to now become a full throughway school by adding um, a middle and high school, an international middle and high school. Okay. So it's quite confusing, even though I know you've explained it to me a few times already. I'm sorry. So, so DSHK is the international stream. And you are now at grade, what, what grade are you currently at? In um, We currently go all the way up to grade six. Grade six. And so yeah. then you'll be able to extend. Are you extending year or one year at a time? Or are you opening up grades six to 12? We are extending one year at a time. So, and that's actually what we've done since when I, when I first, when we moved here and we started the school, I was, we, we only had grade one. Yeah. So for 2024, 25 academic year, you'll be um, having grade seven class. Correct. Yes. Okay. That part I'm clear on. And then the local stream, and this is Rosa's question. So how does the, yeah, how does the local stream work? Sure. So already currently at, at, at Rosary Hill, there is a local, it's actually, so it's a, it's a private kindergarten and a private primary school that are offering the local curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um, and so part of this, you know, kind of whole process is that we've been, that we're, we're coming together. Now I'll, now the school, the new school sponsoring body from 24-25 will become Dalton. And so from kind of from the Dalton ethos and, and, and values that we'll be offering this local local stream option, as well as the international option. So the international, op- so but now in terms of what is kind of shared in, in common, whether you're the local stream or the international stream is, is really that Dalton ethos around, you know, child-centered progressive pedagogy, a culture of, you know, that kind of that, that sent that, you know, culture of love and care and making sure, you know, children feel safe to make mistakes, all that kind of, you know, wonderful stuff that I think is what people love about Dalton now. But I know it's also what people love about Rosary Hill now too. They've got a, they, they, they really value things like that kind of a family-like culture. And so that was where we felt like there was a real synergy in some of the school values and being able to kind of really continue that ethos in a local stream as well as an international stream. 
Where there's some 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 differences between the the streams, though, would be you know in the curriculum, right? So in the international curriculum, we're we're we're, we're using the the dual language model. We're following the American Common Core on the English side, and we're following the mainland Chinese curriculum on the Chinese side. Whereas in the in in the local stream, following the local curriculum, and also it's a different. There is a different language model used within within the the local stream. Can you tell us what that language model is? Sure. So in the in the local stream, they now in in primary school there is still there there, there are still Putumwa classes, and then and and then also there'll be we'll have shared sort of extracurricular and sports teams, right? So there'll still be some of those immersion Putumwa classes as well. But there's also some Spanish and Cantonese that as as classes in in the local stream as well. Okay, so it'll be some English, Cantonese, Spanish, and Mandarin. But but, but predominantly the English and the and the Putumwa in the in the primary. Okay. Okay. Exciting. Yes, it is. And I think, I think what we're also very excited about is I think, you know, we really do believe in what we're doing. And, and so I think being able to now, you know, have broadened the mission of what, of, of, of Dalton is just something that I think we're really excited to be able to do with, you know, with, with our, our, our kind of new friends at, at, at Rosary Health. Yeah. So I think we will bring the, the conversation to a conclusion. I know you're still at school, Sean, so you need to get home and have your dinner. But thank you so much for joining <laughs> us. Day. We had parent-teacher conferences today, but it's, which is always a happy day too. So it's nice to be able to connect with families and to be able to connect with you tonight. Yeah, but I mean, I remember attending the the opening ceremony at, at the Dalton School with Larry. I mean, if that was seven years ago, it just time has just flown. But I can see, I mean, we've been working with you all of that time. And I can see that, that over the years, it, it takes, you know, it, it does take several years to really build trust and confidence. And maybe you, you've, I mean, you've grown the school from the numbers were, was very, very small when you started. I mean, what, what, what are your enrollment numbers at now? Yeah, when we so that first year when we opened, we had nine students at this at this big campus here in West Calhoun, and now we have almost five hundred. So we are, and you know, considering the you know all the factors of, of Hong Kong and with COVID and and everything, we we are very fortunate to still be to you know to definitely be growing and and you know that I think that's a huge testament to the the, the faculty in terms of their you know just dedication and belief in what mm -hmm. we're doing. Also, the parent population, especially you know some of our first believers, is it takes a leap of faith to trust something that you can't necessarily fully visualize. And then kind of, again, the, you know, part of why I'm, I'm, I'm here was that the, the, also there's just, just the, the, like the organization, you know, from every level, like the board to that commitment to really like progressive education, dual language and promoting Chinese culture is something that we're really, really fortunate to have that belief and support at every level of the organization. Yeah. It's a very robust, I would say, leadership team with yourself, you know, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and, and that means that in the new, with the new developments, you've got more space for more students. Um, yes. No. So I think so. The, yeah. The, the new space is definitely larger, and it, and I think one of the key enhancements is that it's going to have outdoor facilities, which is something that yeah, we're lacking now. So we're very yeah. excited to have that the outdoor sporting facilities, as well as a lot more things for like performing arts and, and things like that. It does allow for vertical expansion. It allows for some horizontal expansion, but not, but, but part of, again, being able having the local and the international stream. One of the advantages of that is I think actually it also means that we don't necessarily get so big horizontally in one, in one stream, right? It, so I, I think we get to maintain some of that kind of small school family feel of a, that would like we have now, um, even though we're going to be in a larger, larger site. 
Yeah, well, we'll have to have you on again and uh, we look forward to visiting uh, when it's ready. So, Sean, thank you so much for, for joining us. Thank you to those of you who watched us live. This replay will be available. And if you have any questions, if you're watching on replay and you have questions for Sean, please go ahead and type them here and we'll make sure that he gets to see them and can answer them as well. So Chinese Without Tears is possible at the Dalton School in Hong Kong, at least. And um, it's been really very interesting to, to sort of unpack that a bit more. Sean, thank you so much. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you, everyone, for joining tonight. All right. Have a good evening. OK, good night, everyone. Good night. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the Hong Kong education system and parenting and education news and trends, check out our back catalogue, all available to download for free. You can also head over to our YouTube, Facebook or website for lots of free, useful information for parents and educators. Links in the show notes. Until next time.